0: This is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong. Okay, today I'm interviewing a special doctor. He's a pioneer and there are few doctors who could actually claim that kind of description. But uh, Dr. George Delgado, he's a medical—he is the medical director for the Culture of Life Family Services, and he pioneered a medical protocol uh, that could reverse the effects of RU 486, that's also known as the abortion pill. And we know today there are many women uh, that swallow that pill, and within minutes, hours, or a day or two. They're deeply regretting uh, causing or beginning to cause swallowing a pill that will cause a chemical abortion. And so, Dr. Delgado, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for being here.
1: You're very welcome. It's great to be here.
0: All right. So what we want to do, the purpose of this show for the first segment or so, we want to educate as many people as possible is what is this abortion pill that we call RU486 and how does it work? And also about how many women in the United States are taking this pill per year, as far as you know.
1: Sure. There is a little bit of confusion around this, so it's good to explain it. So RU486 was the name given to this chemical when it was under development by a pharmaceutical company called roussel Uclaf, And that's why it's RU because many drugs are developed but don't make it to market. So they don't want to waste their time giving drugs a proper name if they're not going to make it to the market. So while they're under development, they'll just give it a developmental tag. So RU, roussel Uclaf 486, it was the 486th drug in that series of drugs that they were developing once it was um, going to make it to market, then they developed a name for it. The generic name is Mifepristone, the trade name or the brand name in the United States is Mifeprix, and they have other brand names in other countries. So this is a medication also known as the abortion pill, mm-hmm. which is taken by a woman who's up to 10 weeks pregnant in this country, and sometimes they give it to her beyond that, knows she's pregnant, and is up to 10 weeks pregnant, and takes it. Instead of having a surgical abortion, she takes this poison to cause an abortion. And it can't be confused, or it shouldn't be confused with the quote, morning after pill. The morning after pill is taken by a woman who does not know whether or not she's pregnant. She takes it because she's had an uh, intercourse and does not want to be pregnant. And so it's approved the the morning after pills approve up to usually 72 hours after intercourse. And that is totally different because a woman then, if she is pregnant, it's very, very early on. She doesn't know she's pregnant. She's not necessarily intending an abortion. While the mifepristone is taken by a woman who's up to 10 weeks pregnant and is intending to abort her baby.
0: For our audience to better understand, when a baby's 10 weeks old, about how long, how big is that baby? So, we, we, and what does the baby look like at that point, doctor? Is it just a blob of tissue? A t- a ten,
1: yeah, if you could see, no, if you could see a 10 week old baby, you would recognize all the parts. It would have a very distinguished head, eyes, and ears, mouth, nose, fingers, every, everything. All the organs uh, are, are pretty much there, and they just need to develop more. Mm-hmm. And a 10 week old baby is uh, three to four inches long and you can hear the heart beat usually by just a doppler device a little handheld device put over the mom's tummy you can often hear the heart rate at that at that point so 10 weeks is uh, you know close to the end of the first trimester
0: okay so i think the key thing here american listeners is to know that we're talking about Yeah, a a baby, looks like a baby, because we've been told before, oh, just a blob of tissue. You know, it's just the first trimester, but we're talking about real human life. So when that woman takes that chemical abortion pill, she's going to be aborting, I mean, a little human being with hands and, you know, just like the doctor said, with an identifiable head and all this. Okay, so how does, uh, is it mifepristone? Mifepristone?
1: Mifepristone. Okay,
0: how how does does it it work? Yeah.
1: It works by blocking progesterone receptors. And progesterone, as the name implies, progestation, is the hormone that's very necessary for pregnancy. Here are a few of the things that progesterone does to maintain a pregnancy. It fosters a development of the lining of the uterus to make it thick and luxuriant so that when the five to seven-day-old embryonic human being comes down the fallopian tubes, he or she can attach very well to the lining of the uterus. Mm -hmm. Then as the placenta forms, most of the placental tissue is formed from the embryo or herself, but part of it comes from the mother's side. And so that development of the mother's side of the placenta, as well as the attachment of the placenta, is dependent on progesterone. Progesterone also causes the muscles of the uterus to stay nice and relaxed, and it keeps the cervix closed. So when you have a chemical such as mifepristone that blocks progesterone receptors, it blocks all the effects of progesterone, leading to detachment of the placenta from the uterus, which is what causes the embryonic person or the fetal person to die. Because once the placenta is detached, then the pre-born baby is no longer getting any nutrition. Mm-hmm. The other things that happen are that the muscles of the uterus starts to get twitchy, so contractions can start and the cervix softens and begins to open. Now, you asked how many times this occurs in the United States. Well, the current estimates are that 30 to 40% of all abortions in the United States are accomplished with mifepristone, so that would be 300 to 400,000 abortions per year, approximately. In some European countries, such as Scotland, 75% of all abortions are accomplished with mifepristone. Mm -hmm. So you can see what the trend is. The trend is to go away from the surgical abortions because they are more difficult to perform and because a lot of abortionists are retiring and they're not being replaced by younger doctors. And now the trend is going towards the medical abortions or medical-induced abortions, mostly with mifepristone.
0: And Okay, so now what you started is this abortion pill reversal, and explain how that works.
1: So the way abortion pill reversal is that we know that in the different cells of the body where the mifepristone is blocking the receptors, we can think of the receptors as keys or keyholes, and we can... Think of the progesterone as the key that goes into the keyhole, goes into the lock, and turns the lock. And when the lock turns, the door is un- is opened. And that door opening is what we call the hormone effect, the good things that happen in the cell due to progesterone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the mifepristone is like a false key. We've all experienced putting a key into a lock with the lock not turning because it was the wrong key. But even though it's the wrong key, it still fits in the lock. Mm-hmm. That's what the mifepristone does it fits into the lock, onto the receptor, but it does not activate the receptor, so the door never opens. Fortunately, the mifepristone comes in and out of that lock. The key goes in and out. And so we theorize that if we put more of the good guy keys, more of the progesterone molecules, in and around the receptor, or around the the lock, that Mm -hmm. more of the good guy keys will go into the lock, and you'll have more of the door opening, more of the hormone effect. We, we do that with supplemental progesterone levels so that we outcompete the mifepristone at the receptor site until we wait for the mifepristone to wash out of the system.
0: And how long does it take to wash out of the system?
1: Most of it's gone in 72 hours, but it's some breakdown products that may have active properties remain for up to a week.
0: Okay. All right. So ideally, you keep the woman on uh, the progesterone for how long? Through the first trimester? Is that right?
1: We recommend keeping her on through the first trimester, correct?
0: Okay, all right. And then I'm, I think I jumped ahead of myself because I'm um, going back to the um, mifepristone, which causes you know the abortion. Sometimes those doctors prescribing that will have to prescribe a second medication. Uh, can you explain why? Because you know, if, if the woman's already taken mm-hmm. mifepristone, why would she have to take some other drug to finish the abortion job?
1: Right. Well, currently the accepted protocol for the medical abortion is to use a two-drug combination. And the first drug is the mifepristone, which we've already discussed, and that's very effective at ending the life of the pre-born baby. However, up to 40% of the time, the uterus will not contract enough to expel the remains. And so that's why they've decided to add this second drug called misoprostol, otherwise known as cytotec. And the misoprostol or cytotec is very good at causing uterine contractions. In fact, it can be used to induce labor, and often is used to induce labor in women who are in the early third trimester who need to have labor induced. Mm -hmm. And it's also used to help oxytocin to induce labor by softening the cervix. So they give that second drug essentially to induce a labor, to induce contractions, to expel the contents of the uterus.
0: Uh, I mean, when I think through this, it's just, it's almost nauseating thinking we have so many women who are, you know, taking a poison, doctor. I mean, essentially they're taking a poison causing the death of their child. And most of these women have no idea that when they're aborting, you know, they're stopping a heartbeat, They're, they're ending a human life. I mean, I still think, despite all the science, all the technology, Most of these young women still think, oh, it's just a blob of tissue. It's not a baby yet.
1: But in my experience with talking to women in these situations, many of them actually acknowledge that this is a child whose life they're ending. But the unfortunate thing is that they feel that they're in a very situation. Maybe they've been abandoned by the father of the baby, abandoned by a husband, abandoned by family, or they see that all their career plans are going up in in a cloud of smoke. And they feel like they're boxed into a corner. And they've been told, and unfortunately misinformed, that the only way out of that bad situation, that crisis pregnancy is to have an abortion. And so they've convinced themselves that this is not a good thing to do, that it's the lesser of two evils. And so they, they don't have the support they need for someone to come to them and say, you know, this is not the only way out. There are other ways out where we can make sure that you're okay and we can make sure that your pre-born baby is okay. And they need to hear that loving message of support right. and that loving message to break that, that justification, that denial, and that ignorance that they have that has led them to think that the abortion is the only way out of that situation.
0: And I think it's important to point out to these, which I'm sure you do, I mean, once they're pregnant, they're a mother. They can never, whether it's live birth or abortion, they can never unbecome a mother. That They're a mother. and That's something that they cannot reverse, you know, abortion or not.
1: Well, it's important to keep that in mind, and I often will tell them, that um, you you are a mother and what you're doing right now not only will harm your pre-born baby but it's going to harm you because you're going against your hardwired instincts of a mother to protect and to nurture her pre-born and and her born children so mothers are wired that way to nurture their offspring and when a mother goes against that hardwired instinct and has an abortion The emotional consequences can be staggering. Mm -hmm.
0: Do do you see many women who have had abortions and then you're, and they share with you their emotional turmoil after the abortion? Do you see many women? Yes. Okay. I
1: have seen many women talk to many women, and you know many women who are now in the pro-life arena, being trying to be support to other women or women who have had previous abortions, and they do this to try to keep women from stumbling into the same mistakes that they've had. Right. But even these very good and holy women who are now giving of themselves so much to God's work, they still suffer greatly, because even though they've been healed and they've been forgiven, the scars remain, the psychological scars remain, and, and they undergo a great deal of suffering. And, and it's very difficult to see that. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's, It's wonderful to see them valiantly fighting and and trying to make a difference. But nonetheless, you can never erase totally that hurt that you've imposed on yourself by ending the life of your own child.
0: Right. Well, okay, we're going to be digging more into your uh, network of doctors across the United States. But before we get into that, can you share at least one and I know you have many, you have hundreds of joyful stories of women who wanted to have an abortion and then they change their mind and then they've come back to you. Just do you have a one or two stories you could share real quick and how it's blessed you? Because this must be, um, I don't know, like a daily blessing, just knowing you're saving lives it, all over America daily.
1: Um, it, it really is a blessing. And it's a great privilege to be a part of this whole movement and um, just to know that God has asked me to help in in some small way to to help these women. There's there's a a particular woman that that I admire a great deal. Her name is Rebecca Buell, and I just uh, gave part of a a presentation with her in Sacramento recently. And she took the abortion pill, Mifepristone, and changed her mind and called our hotline. And it was uh, quite a blessing that actually she was uh, helped by... My brother, who's a family physician, and his office helped her out and gave her the progesterone treatment, and I was able to see her son, Zechariah, recently, who's now uh, four or five years old, and, and to see what a wonderful joy he is, uh, both as an individual but also in her life. And now Rebecca is quite an active pro-life spokeswoman. She uh, speaks uh, at many events. And she works in a, in a um, crisis pregnancy center and is part of a, a coalition called uh, CAPC in California, which is a consortium of different pregnancy resource centers. And now she's actually going to go to work for a California assembly person who is going to, uh, and she's going to work as a legislative analysis uh, and will gain more knowledge about the political system so that in the future she'll be able to be a legal advocate in the, in the state legislature and in other places to support life so that we can have people in the political process who have um, a love of life deep in their hearts. So she's been quite an inspiration, quite a joy to to hear her story and, and and how it's come along and how her family's doing so well and how now she's giving back to the community in such a great way.
0: Well, you know, the the, the thing that, um, well, that I tell many people is the ones who make the laws rule the culture. And so it's imperative that more and more people get involved in government, in policymaking, in lawmaking, be a voice, go down to your local state legislatures, get involved at the local county level. You know, the local county level, we should know, are they handing out, you know, using taxpayer dollars? And maybe you have the answer, maybe for California, do they hand out the, the abortion pill as an option at the local county government? So that means taxpayers are paying for it?
1: Yes. Unfortunately in California, this, the state does pay for abortions, both uh, medical and surgical, so our tax dollars are going towards abortion. Okay.
0: Okay, so there you go. Every Californian who pays taxes, unfortunately, whether you like it or not, you're supporting you know the killing of human life, so that's why it's so important, and then this young lady you just described, I mean, what a beautiful journey, and, and I think, um, but when we come back for the next segment, we'll get into your network of doctors and explain um, what a woman needs to do, where she needs to call, so we'll be right back.
2: welcome to the new era in communications america out loud talk radio
0: dr delgado walk us through the uh the what what a young woman would need to do if she's taken the abortion pill you know on day one and let's say she's lying in bed that night and she deeply deeply regrets making that decision to swallowing that chemical concoction that poison what does she need to do? And how quickly does she need to act?
1: Well, we think she needs to act as soon as possible. We've had success treating women up to 72 hours after they've ingested the mifepristone. We think sooner is better. So that woman, if she knows if her own physician or nurse practitioner or midwife or physician assistant can help her with reversal, that would be a perfect place to call. Otherwise, she should go to the website, abortionpillreversal.com. And there she can learn more about the reversal process. And if she wants to pursue it further, there's a hotline number on the website and she can call the hotline and get connected with the option line call center of uh, Heartbeat International, which one will take some, just ask some screening questions and then pass her on to the nurses who manage the uh, abortion pill reversal hotline itself, mm-hmm. who can then help connect her to a medical practitioner in her area who's competent, willing, and able to help her with the abortion pill reversal process.
0: That's fantastic. So do you have physicians now in all 50 states who are participating in your network?
1: We have them in... 45 to 50 states. I'm not sure if we have all 50 states covered. Okay. We're getting pretty close.
0: Okay. Now, if a, if a physician is listening to this, or you never know, it could be the physician's spouse, and she thinks this, or he thinks it's a fantastic idea, what do they need to do? Just call, again, call the hotline or, or somehow get in touch with you if they want to know more?
1: Mm-hmm. How do they? The best thing is to go onto the website, and there's a a phone number there for non-emergency calls, they can call that, or they can send an email through the website, abortionpillreversal.com, asking for more information on how to join the network.
0: Okay, that's perfect. Okay, so so when the young woman calls in, she's going to be talking to a, a nurse or whoever, and then, then she will get connected to somebody in her regional area. So let me ask you this, does it require the physician to do a physical exam or... I assume it does. I mean, does the young woman have to see the physician in person, or can a prescription for progesterone just be written and called in to the local pharmacy?
1: The medical practitioner will assume care of the patient, and just like any other patient, he or she will need to decide if, uh, well, certainly good medical practice is that there be a uh, face-to-face visit uh, at some point, whether Mm -hmm. That has to happen right away before the progesterone is prescribed or if it can happen the next day. That depends on the practitioner schedule and Mm -hmm. the the convenience factor and and all of that. But but definitely the practitioner who prescribes needs to be able to see that patient and we're just um, being part of good medical care.
0: Right. Dr. Delgado, uh, how what's the response on the other side of this issue, like pro-abortion-minded doctors? How do they respond to the idea of abortion pill reversal? And is it normal practice for them to also offer abortion pill reversal?
1: Well, I would say in general, no. I've had, there's been one abortionist who contacted me wanting to get into the network, but the response and the reaction from people on the pro-abortion side has been almost entirely negative and they they seem they call themselves pro-choice but they don't seem to want to give women a second chance at choice so it's very very puzzling and they have attacked us on many different fronts both uh, by attacks by individual physicians and also by Professional societies such as the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and of course um, the standard bearer for the pro-abortion movement Planned Parenthood.
0: How about that? So the American College, what did you just call it? The American College of Obst- Obstetricians, Obstetricians
1: and, gyneco- and Gynecologists.
0: So they aggressively are against this and they've uh, attacked you on a professional level? You know, it's one thing to be, I mean, if, so, if a doctor out there, whatever, they, they want to be pro-choice or pro-abortion, it just seems so incongruous, you know, to be a physician and you're there to, you know, save lives and to improve health. And, you know, what's so hard for that same doctor to say, hey, the woman changes her mind, so be it, you know, and here, here's the solution for it. I mean, it's so easy, progesterone, you know, it's like we're not talking about rocket science. And the other bizarre thing is, I mean, if money is the only thing that interests that doctor, well, the young woman's going to have to come back in and get her pill of progesterone and one more office visit. So it's almost as if they're covering up their own, I don't know, I mean, this is my fleeting thought here, almost their own, it's almost like covering up their tracks. They know they're doing something wrong because, let's face it, it's written on the heart of everybody that to kill, to take a human life is wrong. And so it's almost like they're just covering up their tracks. But that, that, this has surprised me because I didn't think they would be so antagonistic toward a reversal pill. So that's quite disappointing. And so would you be recommending that young women visit, uh, like, pro-life? Um, and is there a pro-life obstetrician-gynecologist association? You know, doctors who are affiliated with that.
1: There is. So there are a couple of uh, organizations they can they can look at. One is called APLOG, the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetrician-Gynecologists.
0: Okay.
1: And that's APLOG, A uh, A P L O G. It's either .com or .org. I think it's .com. And the other is the Catholic Medical Association, which is CathMed, C-A-T-H-M-E-D, either .com or .org. So those are two organizations that uh, they would want to. Yeah, I would advise if a woman happened to take Mifepristone and changed her mind not to go back to the abortion facility because we have not had any instances where they've been helped and they've actually been given misinformation and even lies. Uh, Commonly when they call... Uh, these clinics and say, well, I've changed my mind, they will be told that uh, reversal is impossible or your baby's f- sure to have birth defects. And mm-hmm. both of those are untrue. Because we've proven that reversal is safe and effective. Right. And we've proved that the birth defect rate is not increased by either taking mifepristone or taking progesterone.
0: Okay. That's interesting. Now, it's sort of obvious, but I still think it's important to explain it. Um, Can you explain to our listeners why a trial study of the effectiveness of abortion pill reversal, it's it's really not possible to do a clinical trial or a, what do you call it, like a controlled, where there's a placebo group and then a non-placebo group? Can you kind of walk us through that?
1: Sure. Well, so... So first of all, the, the placebo, so-called placebo-controlled trial is where you have one group of patients who get the active treatment, one group who get no treatment, or they get a sham treatment. That is, they get capsules that don't have any active ingredient in it. So we've already demonstrated and determined what the survival rate is for an embryo if the mother takes mifepristone and nothing else is done. So we know that the survival rate is up to 25%. So we don't need to do the placebo part of the trial because that would be unethical because those women who got inactive um, capsules, their babies would be doomed to die 75% of the time, which is unacceptable, of course. Right. Now what we can do though, and what we are designing right now and what we will do is a, is a randomized controlled trial that will not have a placebo group that will be randomized control. By controlled trial, it means that we control what the women get, what treatments, and we will compare different treatment arms, so different modes of delivery of the progesterone, maybe different dosages, and it'll be randomized because when a woman says she agrees to be in the study, there'll be a computer program that randomizes, mm-hmm. that picks which group the woman will fall into so that there's no bias there in selecting Certain women for certain groups, and so that randomized control trial will be very powerful mm-hmm. in determining which of the progesterone protocols are the most effective, because they'll be compared in a head-to-head fashion.
0: Okay, and the protocol that you recommend is this like a standard? It's a standard protocol, I presume. Like take the pill, take the progesterone pill in the morning or empty stomach, or what? What, what are? What's the protocol?
1: Yeah, there are two protocols right now. One of them uh, is the what we call the high-dose oral protocol, and that's where a woman takes progesterone, 200 milligram capsules two, twice a day with food for three days, and then two at night for, until the end of the first trimester. Mm-hmm. The other is called the injection protocol, and that's a 200 milligram injection once a day for three days in a row, then every other day for about 10 days, and then twice a week until the end of the first trimester.
0: Okay. And is it personal preference? Or are there reasons why you would recommend one over the other?
1: It's personal preference. And so far, our data suggests that they're about equally effective, the, uh, both between 60 and 70% effective at reversing the medical abortion. Okay. So we don't see any, right now, don't see any big t- differences in effectiveness. We, we will be studying this more carefully, though, in the future randomized control trial.
0: Right. Okay. All right. So going back to your network, because this is just where the fun stuff is. So I just want to recommend to every person listening to this show, uh, you know, when we think, okay, they're probably, how many, what's the number again? Did you say three hundred to 400,000 American women are taking the abortion pill every year? Was it, was it that Three yes. hundred to 300,000.
1: 300,
0: that, that is such a high uh, number. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. So. Uh, oh, so it's our job you know to get out to share to share this information i mean uh you know people could be making i'm thinking of like you know the college markets where there's so much promiscuity girls are running out there getting the morning after pill and then i'm sure they're doing this uh you know the abortion pill you know like you said up to how many weeks can they take the abortion pill again they're, they're it's, up to a,
1: it's approved at the 10 weeks of pregnancy.
0: 10 weeks of pregnancy. Okay. So I'm just picturing, uh, and I mean, you probably already have something like this, uh, abortionpillreversal.com little marketing cards. You know, they could be placed in bathrooms, at, at, at you know, dormitories and, you know, public places. And so if we all got out there spreading the word and advertising, you know, it could be advertised so effectively, abortion... Uh, abortionpillreversal.com. So everybody listening, promote that website, promote the work because I mean, literally, you you know, you'll probably be saving lives. You won't know whose lives or how many lives you've saved, but um, you'll be joining and in the helping hands of Dr. George Delgado and his huge network of doctors. So is it fair to say your network of doctors is growing uh, over the years as more people find out? That's exciting, doctor. That's fantastic. It is
1: excited. Yeah. What the response has been, in these doctors who really want to help uh, change lives and save lives. And We have we're probably getting close to 400 doctors in our network now, mm-hmm. uh, if not more than that. So mm-hmm. Doing very well.
0: And let me ask you: Why would a you know a pro-life doctor? Like I think of all the doctors, you know, I would think there are a couple thousand at least. I would think in the pro-life, the what is it called? a, a, a I always forget the acronym. A a plug, yeah. Uh, I don't know how many physicians, healthcare providers say, but why would a physician not want to do what you're doing? But, I mean, why? If he's already pro life or she's already pro, why would they not want to be in your network?
1: Oh, I, I, I couldn't give you a good reason. I think they, <laughs> they would want to.
0: I think so they should, too. <laughs> well, we're going to see if we can make sure they find out about it. Because uh, I mean, if they're already pro-life, if, they're, if that's not a hurdle, then it's like, hey, you know, they should all be part of your network. I just think it's, it, it's just such a blessing. And it's such a um, – well, well, here's the other question, then. If a doctor signs up in your network, is this going to occupy him now full-time and he really doesn't have time for this? or are these doctors getting you know a handful of calls a month?
1: Yeah, usually it's it's not huge numbers, so they, they can certainly continue their practices. It's just an added uh, service that, that they're giving their patients. So,
0: okay, but it, it's, it's just so exciting. Yeah. It's literally saving a life, you know? Sometimes it's just healing it somebody of a sickness, but these doctors would literally be saving lives, and there can't be many more things for a doctor that would be more rewarding than just that. Or really probably for and
1: anyone. Just, because the yeah the, the pre-born babies are literally snatched from the physical jaws of death, and, and the mothers are snatched from the spiritual jaws of death, too. So it's really a, a wonderful situation, and like I said, a great privilege to be a part of it.
0: Absolutely. Well, I had told you before that I had interviewed Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who was the father of the modern-day abortion industry, and uh, who had become pro-life, and— you know, Dr. Nathanson, when I, at the, at the end of the interview, when I said, Dr. Nathanson, do you have a message for America? And he said, Yes, yes, I do. He said, Continue teaching the strategy of how he deceived our country, you know, with this lie that abortion is women's health care. But then he said this He said, Tell America that the co founder of NARAL says to love one another, abortions, not love, stop the killing. The world needs more love, and I'm all about love now. And and he had he he was personally responsible for the death of 75,000 babies, including two of his own. Uh, one he personally aborted yes. with his own hands. And and so when I think that the father of America's industry of abortion left the words of Jesus Christ behind to love one another, abortion's not love. Um, I just think it's going to help drive so many people back to, just going back to the basics. We're not to kill other human beings. And we now know through science, through ultrasound and all that, that we're talking about real human beings, not blobs of tissue, like you described. They have hands and fingers and and fingernails, and heartbeats, and, and there's a much better way, and I think part of this too, this whole pro-life movement, you know, because we're gaining ground, we're, gra- you know, we're gaining leaps and bounds, and it's, it's to resurrect this beautiful idea of adoption. You know, for those women who, who can't handle a baby at that moment, for every abortion, there's more than one couple who wants an adopted to, to adopt a baby. Dr. Delgado, God bless you. You are in the business of saving lives and loving other people. So thank you, and thank you for answering the call God put on your life.
1: You're welcome, and thanks be to God, and uh, keep up your great work.
2: Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep, but it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older, until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell.
0: I'm so thankful, Dr. George Delgado, could be with us for about two thirds of the program, and the remainder. I just want to share some personal thoughts, um, just things to contemplate. You know, when he was explaining that about 350,000 to 400,000 women a year are taking, you know, RU 486, this, you know, the abortion pill, um, and and let's just use conservative numbers. Let's just say one percent of the 400,000 swallow that pill, and then they deeply regret it. You know, that's, we're talking about, uh, that would be 4,000 4, women. So that's, you know, 80 women per state, you know, hypothetically, 80 women per state or 4,000 women deeply, deeply grieving this decision that they had made. And in, we're talking about 4,000 little babies, little little human babies that want to come into the world and the mothers want them to come into the world. And so we're talking about some serious numbers, and that's just running it based on 1%. You know, 1% regret. Uh, You know, and I'm sure it's much, much higher than that. So let's help Dr. George Delgado. Let's really advertise, uh, you know, abortionpillreversal.com. The other thing he had mentioned is that doctors can prescribe the abortion pill uh, from seven uh, through seven through ten weeks of pregnancy, and and I thought, well, you know, most people probably don't even know the fetal development um, during you know through the tenth week, and so I thought, well, let's take a take a look at that. And so at at ten weeks pregnancy, uh, the baby is about one and a half inches long. You know, so you know a lot of the uh, People in the abortion industry will tell these you know, scared young mothers that, oh, it's just a blob of tissue, you know it's not a baby yet, and well, yes, it is, um, and, and so we're talking about a baby that's one and a half inches long, the baby is swallowing, uh, the baby now is kicking, actively kicking, as a matter of fact. Uh, here's another interesting fact is the baby's vital organs are, are there, the baby has kidneys, um, intestines the brain the liver and in fact the liver's making red blood cells and so the yolk sac i guess you'd say is drying up and uh, and and now the you know these vital organs are working let's see also the baby has uh, tiny little fingernails and toenails um, and it's the baby's growing that little peach fuzz all over that one and a half inch body um, and another neat thing is you know as far as the skeleton goes, the, the limbs can now bend. And so the the hands can be flexed at the wrist at 10 weeks old. And also the spine is real visible, you know, through ultrasound. Um, you can clearly see uh, the, the shape of the spine. And so you know, I remember when I, I spoke at a high school and we had, it's the shape of a quarter and it shows you the size of, and, and some of the facts. Well, oh, I know it's the size of the hand. So the little hand or the footprint is printed on this thing, this little item which is about the size of a quarter. And I remember the kids in the high school room just they were they were in awe. They had no idea that at such a young, young age the little baby in the womb has um these little body parts that look just like those high schoolers but just smaller. And so I just thought it would be an appropriate moment to pause and to contemplate that, that just the beauty, the beauty of creation. It's the one thing that God allows us to partake in is the creation of a new human life. You know, God created everything else, but we're able to participate. Uh, and, And it's something we should be in awe of, but yet, you know, we've, Turned it upside down with this thing we call abortion, abortion on demand, uh, women's rights, women's reproductive health care. Well, you know, my question to the American public is: How is killing half a million baby girls every year women's health care? These are females, females that have no voice, females because you know the pro-abortion side is not representing them. But these are human beings. These are baby girls, they're gonna grow up to be women, and we're snuffing out their right to even have a voice. So there is no women's health care as long as we're killing half a million baby girls a year, because the total number of abortions, it's it's always pushing somewhere around a million. Um, And obviously from what Dr. Delgado said, 350,000 to 400,000 are chemical abortions, not surgical abortions, but chemical abortions. Uh, then I wanted to pivot back to Dr. Bernard Nathanson. You know, I have not done an entire show on him, but I just thought it would be an appropriate moment to talk about my book. Uh, and It is not a matter of self-promoting. It's a matter of promoting what Dr. Bernard Nathanson wanted all of Americans to know. Um, Dr. Nathanson, he was the founder of NARAL, NARAL Pro-Choice America. That was the first uh, political organization with the goal of pushing abortion getting abortion legalized all across our country they formed back in the late 1960s and uh, with one goal in mind to get abortion legalized and to make it a normal kind of thing you know without any kind of a a stigma anything like that but it that that's impossible because it's impossible to to um, basically legalize homicide without having some kind of a stigma because it's written on our hearts that, that you know these are babies these are human beings and they have the right to life. That's a fundamental. That's a God-given right to life, that nobody can take away. So even though abortion is legal, the right to life is still a God-given right. No matter what man, uh, no matter what you know laws that man, um, uh, you know allows it's we still have the God-given right to life, and the, and, and just because it's legal. It does not make it right. Uh, we, you know, the other day I used the analogy of, you know, slavery, and I know people say, "Oh, that's not fair to use the the same example of slavery." And I say, absolutely, it is. In fact, there was a, a black minister in Fredericksburg, Virginia, where I had this discussion with him, and I had the fetal, uh, the fetal development babies, like, like. They're actually a mock-up, and you can hold the little 10-week baby in your hand, and then the 12-week, and then the 20-week, and so forth. They're, they're four different um, sizes or gestational periods. And And I had this this pastor was defending um, pro-choice politics. He was defending uh, these pro-abortion uh, politicians. He, he was defending all this. And so I had him hold out his hand, and I put this little 10-week a uh, uh, fetus um, size model in his hand. He had no clue what I was putting in his hand. And, uh, and I, I, have, I held my hand over his until I finished making my statement. And my statement was this, uh, which was, doesn't it make sense that somebody could own a slave as, as, as long as we do not recognize the humanity of the baby in the womb? it makes sense that we could own slaves. And keep in mind, slaves have been black, slaves have been white, slaves have not always been you know, Africans. It's just the concept of civil rights, that if we cannot recognize the humanity and the civil rights of a human being baby in the womb, what is there to stop us from recognizing the human rights of other people? So I remember lifting my hand off of his hand and he was now holding this 10 week old baby fetus in his hand and it looks perfectly human you know like it's not like it was a blob of tissue we're looking at a little teeny tiny human being and uh and and he he he, he had a look of shock on his face and he quickly passed it over to the lady who was sitting to his left and, uh, and she couldn't stand holding on to it, so she passed it back to me. It was like a hot potato. And so that's what I'd like to say is uh, the the abortion industry, you know, we're, we're kicking these babies down the road. We're, we're, we're passing the hot potato on to the next person. And it's time, because this is a war. We're in a war. It's a spiritual warfare uh, that, that our country has passively allowed the killing of 60 million human beings when the father of the abortion industry, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, admits what he did. He, he deceived our country with a propaganda campaign um, to deceive the American public, to deceive our justices, to deceive the media, uh, to deceive clergy and doctors, and of course millions of mothers and fathers. And he did it with an eight-point propaganda campaign. Um, he, he, he did it, number one, by framing the debate around choice. Um, it was just a, the woman's right to choose. Uh, of course, but he would never identify what. So he, they didn't run around saying women should have the right to kill their own child. No, what they would promote was this notion of choice. That, that women should have uh, dominion over their body. They should have the, the choice. Well, women do have dominion over their body. The problem is that the baby is not their body. The baby just happens to be in their body, but the baby is not their body. The second thing Dr. Nathanson did as the founder of NARAL, he, uh, they developed the, the slogans, the slogans like, my body, my choice, and this was to pivot our minds uh, from thinking about the baby to get solely focused on the women. And then the, with the public relations firm that they used, uh, they, the public relations firm said we, they really needed to appeal to certain aspects of the, uh, uh, ma- really, the American consciousness. So Americans love choice and Americans love freedom um, and liberty. So liberty to, to do whatever we want. Um, Unfortunately, that's not the law of the land. But anyway, so moving on. So the third thing Dr. Nathanson would do is he would use the complicit media. And because he was an OBGYN, he could tell the media just about anything. And they would uh, write it down, uh, document it, report it as truth. They would rarely ever go back and research the false statistics and the false facts that he was continuously spoon-feeding them. And so what were these false uh, facts? He would tell the media back in the late 60s and early 70s that one million women a year are having back-alley abortions. One million women a year. And 5,000 to 10,000 women a year were dying of back-alley abortions. And uh, both of those um, numbers were bald-faced lies. The real number—the real number—was somewhere around 99,000 to 100,000 illegal abortions were happening, and at the high side, about 200 women a year were dying, uh, not 5,000 to 10,000. You know, so intuitively, we—we we should have been finding a dead woman up every alley across America. Uh, you know, with 5,000 to 10,000 women dying, uh, but that was a bald-faced lie. So the real number was, was uh, like I said, 99,000 to 100,000 illegal to, uh, on the high side, 200 women dying. And that's 200 too many, but those are 200 women who had chosen an illegal activity, which sadly ended up in their death. Now the other thing Dr. Nathanson would tell the media was that 60% of Americans wanted abortion on demand legalized. This is back in the late 60s, early 70s. So he would tell the media 60%. The PR firm had instructed NARAL that they needed to choose a number higher than 50%. And so uh, when I interviewed Dr. Nathanson, Dr. Nathanson. I said, where did you get that number from? And he said, Terry, I just pulled it out of thin air. We just knew we had to be over 50%. The real number was one half of one percent of Americans wanted abortion on demand legalized. That's right. Only one half of one percent. But he would tell the media 60%. All right. The next thing that they would, uh, that Nairau and particularly Dr. Nathanson would do is that he would rationalize it. He would look at the media and he would say, "Look, the women who are going to have abortions, they're going to do it whether it's legal or not. So just get it legalized. So you know this can be safer, and and you know they're not criminals." Uh, well, it became the self-fulfilling lie because remember, the the illegal number was around a hundred thousand. As soon as they legalized it, within a year or two, we were well over a million uh, legalized abortions. And uh, so it became the self fulfilling lie. And then the last part, this should be the eighth part, I'm giving this to you all from rote memory, but this should be number eight, uh, which is the Catholic strategy. You know, NARAL was founded up in New York City, and what does New York have? But lots of Catholics. And NARAL needed a political victory because the first thing they were setting out to do was to overturn the New York 140-year-old New York anti-abortion law. So for 140 years, a law had been on the books in the state of New York protecting babies in the womb. And so NARAL, they wanted to get that law overturned, which they successfully did in 18 months with this propaganda campaign that I've already highlighted in addition to the eighth point, which is the Catholic strategy. So New York had lots of Catholic voters and NARAL needed a political victory. So what happened is they executed this four-part tactical plan called the Catholic strategy. So the first part was, Any time a woman died of an illegal abortion, Dr. Nathanson and NARAU would blame the Pope, the Cardinals, the Bishops, and any local priests. any time a woman died of an illegal abortion. The next thing they would do is they would emphasize any time a Catholic politician was willing to soften his or her position on the abortion issue, oh, my goodness, they would promote that person out in the media. Uh, And then uh, the third part is they would support so when that Catholic legislator or a candidate was running for election or re-election, if he had turned soft on abortion, they would promote that Catholic candidate in the media and you would have thought the Catholic Church was now suddenly pro-abortion. Um, so again, this was a, a very stealthy public relations campaign to begin to pivot enough Catholic voters so that they would begin to support abortion. And the fourth part is still in effect today. Uh, well, all these parts are still in effect today but uh, but but the primary one is called the straddle. So what Dr. Nathanson did is he gave Catholic voters uh, the ability to remain personally against abortion but vote so that women have the right to choose so so bottom line they could on one on one leg you know picture straddling fence on one leg straddling it's like oh i'm personally against abortion and then on the other leg but every woman deserves the right to choose and this was the way they were able to shift over enough catholic voters they already had a whole bunch of catholic voters in their back pocket but they needed more. And so they needed an enough percentage of the Catholics who are not in favor of abortion, but they would buy the lie that abortion is women's health care and that it should be a woman's right to choose. That came from NARAL. It was stealthy. It was deadly. It was highly effective. Um, It has killed millions and millions of black American babies, which happens to be the leading cause of death of black people is abortion in America. And American Catholics need to grapple with this, that any American Catholic who, who supports abortion in any way, when they walk into that voting booth and they're supporting a pro-abortion candidate, the blood is on their hands. And so I'm saying, America, let's wake up. You know, we're not going to be able to change this overnight. Look what Dr. Delgado said, 400,000 women are taking a you know, chemical to kill a baby. We're not going to be able to change that, but by golly, we could all go out there and we could spend $10 and make, make little marketing cards so you can drop them in lots of different places, hand them to millennials and go say, share these with your girlfriends. They might need this one day, abortionpillreversal.com abortionpillreversal.com and I understand uh, Heartbeat International um, has just um, I guess it's purchased uh, uh, Abortion Pill Reversal and so thank you Heartbeat International. Uh, We thank you for your support and we hope you can get this message out far and wide so one day there's literally no demand whatsoever for the abortion pill. Thank you. God bless and we are shining light in dark places. Come back next time.